uh, there's this like confidence you find in New Testament scholarship that we can, will always be able to isolate the the uh, the original text, which is uh, I can tell you is just not true. <laughs> Uh, hey, what's up, everyone? This is the Mirror Scriptura podcast. Um, if I sound a little more nasally than usual, that's because I'm still getting over a cold. So hopefully I'm not uh, coughing and sniffling too much uh, throughout this interview. Uh, today I have a, a special guest, uh, and I'm probably not going to pronounce his right, name right, but it's uh, Zimach Yora. Close enough? Yeah, that's good. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, I've based all my major uh, uh, series, the Eloise series, the Northern Judges series, and the Elijah, Elisha uh, series, all on his uh, source attributions. Um, so uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much, Michael. All right, so I'm just going to go through here and ask you some questions, and you can, uh, I'm sure everyone who listens to this will love to hear your thoughts. Uh, start, starting off, just tell us a little bit about your background and how you became a humanistic Jew. Oh, okay. Um, well, I, I was born Jewish, um, so that's a good start for at least half of that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I, uh, I guess um, I've... Uh, in, uh, I would say, uh, people mystically uh, uh, refer to as a free thinker uh, a good deal of my life. Um, and uh, my philosophical position has been one of uh, putting uh, the human condition at the center, uh, draws heavily on utilitarianism um, and such. Um, and so, uh, so that's that that's like the philosophical backdrop and i uh was educated classically in jewish texts and so my lens through which i uh, live my humanism is uh, the jewish lens uh, and uh i've taken it further than most meaning I've, I've written a good deal of liturgical work and i have uh, become a humanist rabbi uh, uh, for one of the rare humanist congregations that exist uh, in New York City. Um, so that's, uh, I guess, the two halves of my identity in a nutshell. Okay. Well, how uh, did you move to New York for that reason? For, because the, that congregation was there? No, no. Actually, I, I, I got, I started this job uh, very recently. Okay. Uh, I, if you would have asked me a couple of years ago whether I would be a congregational rabbi, I would have laughed. I had no aspirations in that <laughs> uh, in that direction. Uh, but uh, living uh, living in New York City requires a, a higher level of income than uh, just uh, uh, freelancing and writing. Right. My prefer uh, probably one of my preferred modes of uh, existence. Uh, you know, if I if I could, I would just uh, you know write. But I ha I do have three kids, and uh, I have to uh, you know uh, pay your rent, yeah. uh, pay for their schooling, etc. Uh, so yeah, so uh, the job came up, and I applied for it, and surprisingly, I got it. I, I had become a humanist rabbi fairly by, uh, on a whim. I would say, you know, because uh, I I have I'd written uh, I've been writing humanist liturgy since uh, you know for the last the fifteen years, and I it was just uh, you know so I th through the through that uh, through that liturgy I uh, um, 
I was asked to uh, to apply for the rabbinical program by somebody who had read something about me in the press, and I uh, I, I did, and uh, you know, and for years it was just like, oh, I'm just uh, I, I'm just uh, writing things, um, and uh, but but uh, apparently sometimes writing your own liturgy leads to a job, so yeah, <laughs> not that not that I uh, not that I recommend that as a career path. <laughs> Uh, but it's idiosyncratic at least yeah well good for you so is that uh how is that how's that working out what it was what has it met your expectations has it been a lot different yeah, yeah i mean i have like you know so many of my friends are like, congregational rabbis i would say i live in my yeah, i okay. live in that kind of world um so i i uh i mean i i knew kind of what to expect um very uh, very friendly people uh you know i getting along very well with the congregation. Uh, we are, you know, I'm at the end of my first year and uh, I, don't, I see myself continuing. I don't, I don't know like forever, but for sure. the foreseeable future. Um, yeah. And I, you know, <laughs> it's weird. I, I come from a very deeply academic background. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's very weird for me um, being uh, uh, working in a pastoral role, but sure. uh, yeah. That's, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, so for a lot of people, uh, when they make it, it's usually a transition, um, well, at least my own, uh, background here, the transition from a li- religious background to a humanist background, it's been, pr- it's, it can be kind of rough sometimes. It doesn't sound like that's, the, that's had, was the case with you. No. Um, not really, um, really, because my parents are, you know, are academics too. I, I, I went, as they call, there's a military brat. I'm an academic brat. Meaning, <laughs> uh, my, I grew up, uh, I grew up around academics and academia, and part of the academic relationship, especially when you're an academic uh, of the type my parents are, a, a humanities academic, is a very skeptical nature towards texts. And, and so that was one that was like firmly embedded in my psyche from a very, very young age. Okay. So, so it, I grew up like in a fairly religious home, but my parents never told me you're doing this because God said it at Mount Sinai. They said, you're doing this because this is what we're doing as a family. And, you know, Got, yeah, okay. the way it is. <laughs> um, and so, it, you know, it, uh, it, it mounted me in a way that, uh, that uh, a lot of uh, religious upbringings uh, uh, would not meaning it, you know, because I know for I know in just among my circle of friends that uh, they have certainly had other paths to to, to, to that. They uh, they you know they were told God said so or it says in the Torah or something of that nature. And so that wasn't the case for me. So it came to me very naturally. Um, you know, it, um, at some point I uh, I figured out you know I, I'm a free thinker. Uh, you know, and I. I uh, just said I have to like be really deliberate. I have to think about my relationship to, to these traditions. Does it make does the tradition make sense? Does it not? Uh, should I live it? Should I live that way? Should I adopt it? Should I not? Uh, and so I've done that for for uh, a very very large uh, uh, body of traditions and, and texts. And so uh, so yeah, it, I, it's, it was very organic for me. There wasn't like a rupture of any. Uh, right. 
Um, so do, are you still, do you still have time to do uh, some source credit, source criticism work or what, are, you, what are your goals? What, what are your goals in that regards? Absolutely. I've only have time as a congregational rabbi. Okay. So, so I have, I have uh, still firmly embedded in the world of uh, interpreting ancient texts. Uh, I just finished uh, translating a Karaite commentary to Deuteronomy. Um, so I'm like, I, uh, and Definitely. I'm, right now, I would say that I'm uh, focused on finishing my uh, second PhD. I'm, uh, I'm just about to, uh, to submit um, in probably the next couple weeks. Um, okay. So, so uh, and that was, uh, I moved over a period. I, you know, did, uh, uh, I would say, late Second Temple, early Christianity, also ancient texts. Okay. Uh, so I, I haven't veered from that interest at all. Okay. Uh, but so, uh, well, that's yeah. interesting. Are you new to the early Christianity uh, text? Or yeah, you- yeah, it was, it was, it was a great. Uh, I, I would say that that PhD really opened my eyes. I, I studied New Testament critically. Um, I um, beefed up on my Greek. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I read a lot of, uh, you know, intertestamental literature. Uh, uh, um, Say, I my doctorate is in, uh, is, is in, on wisdom texts of that period, uh, specifically Ben Sirach, uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was great. I learned I learned a lot, and I'm I'm very yeah. happy. <laughs> I'm one of those rare people that has not very much interest in becoming a professor. So you okay. know, I'll be a, a weirdo with uh, with two PhDs um, <laughs> and, and and no job in the academy, which is fine with me. I don't. Um, but yeah, there really, I, I am still in the Bible world, meaning I, I'm doing the second part of my, I, I wrote a, a commentary based on my website work uh, called Colonel Cannon. And the, the second half of that is a wor- of my work on biblical symmetries. And I'm, uh, I just uh, I just completed uh, a first draft that I'm, that is being edited right now by by an editor. I'm hope I'm hoping that sometime later this year, maybe early summer, uh, late summer, I'll I'll have it out. Okay. So, so I, Great. You know, I'm very excited about that. It's yeah. Part of my <laughs> a grand theory of mine that I conceived of about uh, <laughs> years ago, and it's uh you know stage stage one got completed uh, about a year and a half ago, and now uh, I'm well into stage two. Okay. So what? Uh, yeah, I'm curious. I mean, I, I see in the in the Hebrew text or the Hebrew Bible that uh, the sources are pretty e- easily. I don't know, honestly, easily, but I can, <laughs> I, I can see when I see your work. The, yeah. the, you know, you've done all the hard lift. The, you know. Yeah. Lift. So yeah. In, in the New Testament, do you do you see a lot of sources, or does is it a lot less? It's interesting. It's interesting. Um, I, I've thought a lot about this, and New Testament scholarship is a lot more leery about source criticism, except when it comes to the synoptics. Uh, yeah. They really, you know, with, uh, you know, they're willing to hypothesize on Q, and and uh, you know, there's some theories about the fourth, uh, the fourth gospel about John, but really, there's just not a lot. Um, yeah. And it's surprised, it surprised me because there's, you know, especially for like, I, I wrote an article, I'll give you an example. Uh, I wrote an article um, that I, I tried to submit as uh, about um, a, a theory of composition the, uh, on the book of James. And I, um, I was, 
I was unsuccessful because I, I submitted submitted it to uh, JBL, which is one of the top journals. And uh, I, I, you know, the uh, the editor of JBL is a family friend, and I asked I asked her like, what are the chances of this article being accepted? She says not very high because people are just not doing interpolation theory in wow. New Testament, and they're very skeptical of those kinds of that kind of thinking. And it, that's really uh, it comes from a place of uh, you know they're interested in the uh, they're interesting relationship to lower criticism, meaning there's like lower criticism is also very conservative. And that the, the, the problem, it arises from just like the, the like the abundance, the great, great wealth of manuscripts that exist for the New Testament, like uh, thousands and thousands and thousands, uh, some of them pretty early. And uh, there's this like confidence you find in New Testament scholarship that we will always be able to isolate the, the, uh, the original text, which is, uh, I can tell you it's just not true. It's like, it's just, uh, you know, objectively speaking, um, <laughs> not true. Um, and so, and so but, but the confidence is there. And so you have that relationship to lower criticism, the relationship to higher criticism is also fairly conservative. And so it tends to be just more conservative, but there's no, like, uh, the inherently, uh, the texts, uh, when you see how uh, scholars treat, like, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, literature outside of the of the New Testament, outside of the canonical literature, they are willing to engage with uh, uh, multiple authorship and such a, uh, and such things uh, and such things like that. But uh, but but it's interesting. It's kind of like you know they're they're stage behind what 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 was happening in uh, uh, you know Old Testament Hebrew Bible criticism. And you know I I like I I do Arabic too and. It, Quran is, is two stages behind. <laughs> so I believe there's multiple authorship of the Quran as well. Um, and, um, but I, I've been told by my wife that if I publish on that, uh, she will divorce <laughs> me because because uh, she's afraid of fatwas. So ah, okay. <laughs> anyway. So so if you don't um, if you don't on the New Testament stuff, if you don't get anything published on that, would do you have any plans on on putting that on your own website or something yeah. like that? Maybe. It's really I, I do I'm I'm excited about that I have to um, I have to like first uh, I would say get to a place where I'm really happy with my uh, with my uh, um, grand theory on of uh, biblical narrative um, so uh-huh. I'm still working on those books of uh, on biblical symmetries but afterwards I I do do intend to pursue New Testament work um, okay and so I, I it's an unwind field I also intend to pursue Quran work uh, probably with a pseudonym or something but uh, <laughs> um, I do I have like this you know I'm I'm not uh, you know I'm ecumenical when it comes to uh, religious texts I'm willing to, to, to take apart a religious text uh, religious text from any tradition that I yeah. have any uh, you know that I'm adept with, you know, so okay. it's just fascinating, that, you know, it's fascinating to me. It's like, you know, Terra Nova, like people are not willing, you know, it's, uh, there are people who engage both in biblical criticism and New Testament criticism are a very, are very, very rare. So the fact yeah. that I, you know, that I, uh, I'm able and have learned the skills to do both, um, is, uh, you know, gives me a rare advantage, a rare, uh, you know, insights, um, that the people who only have the advantage of one field, uh, yeah. Uh, are, are harder put to do to do that kind of work. Absolutely, I'd, I'd be very interested to to learn about your perspective on that. Uh, okay, so backtracking a little bit, uh, went off a rabbit trail there. Yeah. Uh, uh, tell us, uh, for, well, for those who don't know, tell tell us what source criticism is. Sure. And you know a little bit of the criteria that one uses to to figure that out. 
absolutely. So um, source criticism uh, 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 derives from the premise that uh, the uh, Hebrew Bible, and especially uh, the first part of it, the Torah, and maybe a few books afterwards, the first prophets, um, were written uh, by uh, multiple authors, and not just a, not just one author. And so that is the theory that uh, you know evolved. Um, you know, there are some uh, there's some like uh, you know good uh, uh, good points of reference. Like there's the work of Ibn Ezra, who who uh, you know ha- has made, made it fairly clear that he didn't believe the entire Bible was mosaic. And then there was like and then there was work uh, later on, sporadic work really started coming into its own in the 19th century. Um, yeah, you know, and, and what they did was like found contradictions within the text um, and. Uh, there are plenty of those for people who read it, um, and doublets, two stories telling essentially the same thing, but not really. Like the, you know, the classic one is the two stories of creation uh, in Genesis uh, one and uh, the first part of two, and then in Genesis two, and they just uh, you know, and they made the assumption, uh, you know, instead of trying to harmonize it, they make the assumption, uh, harmonize the accounts, they make the assumption, no, we have. Uh, more than one voice over here. And we just know that that's like, yeah, because of manuscript transition, transmission, you know, one generation of scribes gives it to the next generation of, scribe, generation of scribes. And people, there's all there's a lot of, often more than one hand at work in, in the, the manuscript tra- tradition. So it made sense to assume, oh, these, uh, you know, these contradictions or these doublets are, uh, are from, uh, multiple voices and so that's where sort of you know the premise the premise for source criticism comes and then you know then you have to a lot of this is uh is um, conjectural and um you know exactly when uh things were written you know that's but but what's uh, more more what's clearer are the fractures in the text they're like fractures uh are contradictions or repetitions or people and people acknowledge today that if you're a Bible critic, that those a lot of those fractures uh, are the product of uh, the text being stitched together of of multiple authorship. Um, uh, you know, and so um, you know, there's some fault lines that everyone will agree are uh, the product of multiple authors, and there's some fault lines um, depending on your attitude. Are you uh, conservative or are you hypercritical? Uh, are that don't necessarily indicate um, uh, multiple authorship. And so I'm in a fairly conservative cap, meaning I don't posit that many that many authors in the Torah. I don't know, like eight, nine. I don't, you know, I it's hard. I'm hard put to put like an exact number on it. But but you know, not you know, uh, I have a professor at Hebrew University who said, you know someone asked him that exact question. So how many people wrote the Torah? He said forty something. So that's not me. That, that that's a that's a that's a, a hypercritical attitude I can, I, and I understand where it comes from but just like I, I feel that in the ancient world there was more of a tolerance for for uh, repetition and contradiction it's mm. not giving enough weight to that kind of uh, uh, that, that, that kind of uh, factor 
Okay. So, and you've touched on it a little bit already, but tell us a little bit about your ac- academic qualifications and also sure. how did, how did you get into this whole source criticism thing? Uh, uh, well, uh, I mean, I was, a I, again, I was an academic brat, uh, meaning my parents, <laughs> I was widely expected to get a doctorate by the time I was, uh, by the time before I, before I was 10, basically, you know, uh, my parents, uh, there was a lot of pressure on me uh, to do so. Um, and you know, not that, uh, I gravitated towards it myself, and I enjoyed it. Uh, but my parents were rabbinic scholars, so they were they dealt with uh, rabbinic texts of a later period. And I was sent to uh, you know seminary, to religious seminaries to study those texts. And I kind of I would say doing the Bible was uh, a little bit of a rebellion against that focus, and definitely doing the Bible critically, uh, considering that the institutions that I went in did not support biblical criticism and uh, uh, consider it heretical. And, uh, you know, um, if we were living a few hundred years in the past, uh, I, you know, would have been excommunicated. Uh, but uh, I, I would say that, uh, that that that's how I I, I got to the uh, to the halls of Hebrew University um, and the Hebrew University Bible Program. At the time, I was a student. Uh, I started there in 1996. Uh, was was the strongest Bible program in the world, par excellence. There was no, there was nothing even close to it. The matter, just the sheer number of Bible professors there with uh, international reputations was uh, so uh, was great. And I was just at, I, I came to, I, I came in at the time when it was just before a lot of people retired. <laughs> so I got to study with like uh, greats of uh, the previous generation as well. Um, so I really uh, that that my training really benefited. Um, and I just was, I had been interested in Bible a good deal as, as a kid, and I participated in Bible contests. I was, um, I was the winner of uh, uh, the diaspora division of uh, just uh, biblical knowledge uh, as a teenager, uh, meaning I, I competed uh, uh, in Israel uh, for that distinction. Um, and so I, you know, I did my doctorate very, very fast at Hebrew University, mainly because, uh, you know, with all the grades that were there, uh, it still was, I didn't regard it as a, you know, a very nice place. <laughs> there's, a, there's a cutthroatedness to the, to, uh, <laughs> to the academy, especially in humanities, um, and which I did, I, I it's not, Part of who I am. I don't. I like. I like inter, the interchange of ideas. But just like my idea is the best, and your idea sucks. It's not my kind of <laughs> my cup of tea. Like I, you know, uh, I have a professor. I'm not going to name who he is. Uh, you know, he said I, I'm going to win, and you're going to lose. And I just don't. You know, I, yeah. I kind of an, an attitude that didn't appeal to me. So. Basically, I tried to finish my doctorate as quickly as possible. <laughs> so uh, I sped through the, uh, the BA, MA, PhD at Hebrew University um, in six and a half years. Um, and then, uh, you know. And, um, I, I, and, think I, I think I read somewhere you were one of the youngest to come out. Yeah, of yeah. Right? I, I submitted when I was, uh, uh, I, started, I started when I was 18 and I submitted my PhD when I was 24. Um, yeah, I mean, not that uh, you you know, that, um, not that they, that any uh, a job was waiting for me. <laughs> when I left, um, which is uh, you know part of like this uh, kind of uh, I, I I got my PhD right with a big crisis of in the human in humanities uh, academia around the world really became 
clear. Like, you know, every every year there has been less and less positions. And so, you know, yeah, I did. I did eventually. I got a, I got, I was one of the lucky people. I did get a postdoc. And I got two postdocs. I got, I got a tenure track job. Um, but, but it was, it was fairly hard going and it wasn't, it was very unpleasant and it became very clear that it was not a meritocracy. It wasn't, wasn't that the idea, if you had a very good idea, you were going to get a job. It was basically who you knew and uh, who your advisor was and how influential they were. And, uh, you know, I was, I, you know, I, I was kind of stupid about it. You know, I, I should have been, uh, you know, more grounded since my parents were academics. I shouldn't have been an idealist, but, uh, you know, I was in my early mid twenties and, you know, I, I still was thinking in those, in the, in those ways. Um, so, um, uh, at that point, I went into the army in Israel, and I, I got that. I got some of uh, my ideals kicked out of me, like off of habits in the military. Um, and so, uh, at that at that point, I, you know, I started <laughs> my attitude towards a lot of things shifted, and um, and you know, I I started thinking about like, well, what is it that I really want? And what I really want is like to to engage in these grand ideas, just to write and think about them. And so. You know, uh, yes, uh, academia is one of the uh, venues uh, where you could do this most easily, but there are other venues. And so I decided for uh, for a while that, you know, the best way to do it was to write and to website work and, you know, just to get ideas out there, dialogue flowing, you know, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and, and, I, and ultimately another, like, is to become a, is to become a, a religious figure. Like what I'm doing right now, become a rabbi, you teach you know, I, I benefit from, I, I, you know, my congregation benefits from my expertise in these areas. And I, you know, it, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm, no, I'm no longer the ivory tower. And so, it's, uh, yeah. Good. So, uh, so you've, you have your own version of the, what's called the supplementary hypothesis. Yes. Tell, tell us what's, what that is, uh, you know, how, sure. your version, how that differs from other versions of it. Absolutely. Um, so, Basically, and it's, it's most basic form, it's the, the idea that um, there is an original text upon which um, uh, each successive author added their own input. Um, and basically, the idea comes from, uh, I think it's a lot, very organic to the ancient world, meaning there's a, there's a reverence for books and texts that is kind of hard to understand uh, today. You know, uh, we were, just have so many books and we're, it's, not, it's not treated as reverentially. And, you know, there's so, so many people know how to read and write. Uh, but in, in general, it was like, uh, I think that there was, uh, you know, general attitude was um, an attitude of addition and accretion, not deletion and, and, re- and you know, reformatting and taking apart. Um, and so that's why, you know, that's what, that's what uh, supplementation means. It means like you're, you start off with something and then, the, you know, and then uh, 20 years later, 30 years later, uh, you know, you have, a, there's a different audience, a different generation. And uh, then uh, that author updates that, that, that story for uh, the next generation. It's, and this occur, occurs a fair number of times. And that's how you get, eventually you get uh, biblical narrative in my opinion. Um, and so that, I feel that that's an organic, uh, uh, you know, it's an organic process. Uh, so that's uh, uh, at its core, uh, what supplementation is about. Um, and, uh, I don't, I, I wouldn't say like, you know, I have a 
my theory of, uh, you know, I, I probably at this point have, have an opinion about pretty much every, uh, every narrative uh, verse in the Bible. But, but, um, but I would say that, uh, you know, the, you know, there are many supplementary theories. And it's just at its, at its core, it's like a reading strategy. It's how you feel that the, the attitude people had towards uh, texts. And I think it's one of the, you know, uh, the, the, even the, the, there are very few hard, hardcore documentarians left, people who really think, uh, you know, that the documentary hypothesis is the only, you know, only mechanism by which the Torah was... Uh, was uh, formed, you know, and, and uh, the United States is still a big center for that, you know, mm. um, and it's interesting, you know, why that's the case. I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't exactly know why United, the United States remained, uh, you know, the documentary hypothesis really still has such a, a foothold here. I mean, in, in Israel and in, uh, and in, uh, and in Europe, uh, especially, it's like kind of passe at this point. Um, and, uh, but, but basically, so the problem is that then because everybody, you know, we're at a period where there's not one, no longer one dominant theory of how, how one relates to biblical texts, it's kind of, the dialogue has broken down a bit between competing camps. And mm. still, I would say, like, maybe a, a plurality, um, there, there's still like a plurality for the documentary hypothesis, so it's still tends to be you know, where people start off in their discussions. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, so I like, you know, um, what I mean by Jay and what, uh, you know, my teacher, Baruch Schwartz, who um, uh, advocates for the documentary hypothesis means by Jay is when it comes to the, the Torah, mostly the same thing, but, you know, there's enough of a divergence that are we do we really have a dialogue when I say Jay and he says Jay we, we mean two very different we mean two different things very essentially different things because mm. he doesn't see it as a you know I I think of Jay as like relating to an earlier text and he doesn't see Jay as relating to an earlier text at all and so they're just verses that you know will you know he he, he has to relate to differently uh, than I do because of his theory uh, and so uh, you know so there's you know. <laughs> kind of it kind of breaks down when you you know it's hard to have these shortcuts anymore like you know when i talk about j or when i talk about e to somebody who doesn't agree with me it's better i think to go a stage back and to talk about like fractures in the text is this this fracture meaningful does it imply multiple authorship does it not and so i have my own cues on what applies and what doesn't apply multiple authorship and i tend to be more conservative um but you know, I think that that's where the dialogue ultimately occurs, really, is like, is this a meaningful fracture um, or not? Um, because I don't think we have any agreements about nomenclature anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so in your training, it, it doesn't sound like, because uh, I, I I'm just imagining around here uh, in the U.S., if you're going to do source criticism, there would be a heavy bias towards the documentary, documentary yeah. hypothesis. That wasn't the case in your... <laughs> In your, no, in your it training? Wasn't. It wasn't. Like I had, I um, I trained under people who, you know, one teacher of mine influenced me in a fragmentary way, Alexander Ofe, I would say. Um, he was the, he was the, he was the person I, who, who was asked, how many authors do you think uh, wrote the Torah? And he said 40 some. Um, and then I was, I was also taught by Baruch Schwartz, who is, a, you know, a documentary scholar. Um, 
But, you know, I, I, I guess I was just most attracted to Israel Knoll, who is a supplementarian, um, and that was his reading strategy with regard to P and H. And I said, oh, okay, so, I, you know, I, he should be my advisor since he reads P and H in that way. He, he will be more sympathetic to a reading of E and J in that way as well. And so I went to him for, you know, for my, uh, my uh, doctoral work um, and for my MA. I wrote my MA thesis with him as well. I mean, always it was it was it was a it was a bit difficult going because Baruch Schwartz, you know, considering that it was his area, he was always on my committee. So I always got I always got the, you know, I, I he, he didn't let anything pass. <laughs> like I had to I had to yeah. work my stuff. Um, you know, and he, you know, I, he never. It took him a long time to completely forgive me for for you know diverging from uh, <laughs> documentary orthodoxy. I think we're I think we're 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 simpatico we're friends now but uh, you know I never I never entirely know. <laughs> <laughs> All right well I mean you've used the term uh fragment or fragmentary. Yeah. There, there's another hypothesis called the fragmentary hypothesis. Uh, yeah. What do you think of that? Did you get much exposure to that? Yeah, I would say like the, you know and tell tell us what it is. Was my you know I would say it's more of like a reading of a reading strategy. You know, okay. so reading strategy is like ten, just tends to like value fractures um, in the text. Uh, you know, more than I than I would, or more than a documentary hypothesis would, and just that those fractures imply more authors and more more strands that you can pull at. Um, and so it's, you know, one of, the, one of the problems that people with that theory face is like, you know, you've broken up this, the, the text so much that, you know, where are your whole parts? Like, who wrote what when, you know, and, you know, how your, your, theory, your theory of composition becomes very, very complicated. And, you know, there's not that, you know, I don't know if Oakham's razor is makes sense in biblical scholarship. Uh, just you know, the, it it took so many, hundreds of years to compose and to posit a fair number of authors might make sense. But but you know, the more the more authors you assume, the more authors that are participated, you know, the more hypothetical it becomes. And then it's just not that it couldn't have happened that way. It's just it's it becomes like a more of a more of a work of art, I would say, than a work of, uh, you know, of, of uh, pure scholarship. Okay. So, well, yeah, I, I, I like, I value it because I, I value, uh, I, I still consider Alexander Raffet one of my, you know, sharp, sharpest influences just in just uh, the, his ability uh, to, to look at a text um, and, and find the fractures and find, you know, and like, tease out meaning over there is like I had he, he blew my mind away a lot and it was just uh, it was just um, I would say one of his courses I took I took I, I, I took more courses with him than with anyone else including my advisor um, and uh, you know his influence on me uh, although he would he wouldn't agree with any anything that I write ever at this point like uh, I think maybe with the Northern Book of Judges, he, that was something that he uh, deeply influenced me on. Uh, but uh, but uh, in general, I would say you know, it's just it, that sharpness um, to, uh, regarding tax is something that I learned, uh, at, you know, with him. And I, I really appreciate it. So, yeah. 
All right. So if you had to, if you had to try to convince someone to leave the documentary hypothesis and switch over to being the supplementarian, what would you say to them? What would I say? I would say uh, read my pieces on Florida.com. <laughs> and uh, just uh, just uh, it's uh, at at best um, a theory is like uh, a, a heuristic, something that just explains things better. So I, I can give multiple ex, multiple examples of where my my um, my work explains something in the text that you could not see otherwise. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be discernible without assuming that kind of supplementary relationship. Um, and I, you know, I can I, there there are many examples that I could bring. You know, um, but but it's just uh, you know that that's how I would start. I would say like. No, um, I, I uh, one of my first uh, uh, SBL lectures was how many sons did Jacob have according to E. It's just that kind of thing. Like I can I can prove that it you know uh, that E had seven sons and that that explains a lot of what's going on in the text of Genesis um, better than any other better than any other uh, uh, theory and. Um, it's just I, I I can bring multiple examples and then I can you know just by the wealth of examples I can say you know convince people that that, that you know is more likely um, and so yeah I mean there are texts that work I will acknowledge it immediately there are texts that you know not a lot of them or I would I would not be a supplementarian but there are texts that work less well with my with my theory um, and, you know and you know and I've had back and forth about say the uh you know the 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 Korach rebellion and in, in the book of numbers is one of the better examples for a for a documentary uh paradigm um you know um maybe the noah story I, though i think my divisions in the noah story are plenty fine um but 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 it's just uh I, that's you know uh it, it's just uh i feel that my theory explains all kinds of things that were unexplainable before uh, and that's why I, I I advocate for it. You know, uh, I think that that's the best. Uh, you, if you if you have to judge a theory, it's the things that you didn't know about uh, the biblical text that you now know. And so that's why I right. would say my theory is better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, kind of goes into my next question. Tell, give us a couple more examples of like some of the novel interpretations you've gotten from your approach. Sure. Um, so. Um, aside from Jacob having seven sons, according to the original story, um, I, I could uh, I could show that uh, uh, Noah had uh, Noah had four sons and not three. Um, you know, and you find you know that tradition resurfaces remarkably in the uh, in late rabbinic literature and in the in the uh, in the Quran. Um, and I could uh, you know in the fourth the fourth son son was Canaan. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, of course that was Canaan. That's right. Um, you know, and also in the Quran, you know, also in the, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the, um, in the um, Muslim tradition, uh, which is remarkable. And, you know, the fact that it's uh, three, you know, the, the figure of three gets repeated again and again, you know, that's a part of, uh, you know, a later editor just, you know, saying, a, uh, emphasizing that his point of view is right. And, and you know, but that often is uh, to cover up an earlier, uh, an earlier version, uh, you know, at least according to my theory of repetitions. Um, and so, so, you know, that's another example. Um, I, I believe that they were, uh, yeah, um, I would say that the Judah doesn't appear in E, I, I believe, you know, uh, 
and that makes sense. That makes sense um, in terms of where it was composed. I believe he was composed in northern Israel, and you know, just uh, Judah, um, just economically at that time period, was like a relative backwater. And, uh, and so, like you know, the north, the north saw it that way. And you know, okay, Judah, we're not counting Judah. Judah's not one of Jacob's sons. And uh, you know that explains a big dynamic of what is going on in the text of uh, Genesis and afterwards. Um, it just provides such a good, uh, you know, anything that mentions Judah is probably is not eat, doesn't eat it right. You know, it's a great, it's a great, just way, a great way of looking at it. Um, you know, and yeah, I have like, uh, uh, yeah, I think that there were only seven plagues. I think there were only seven commandments. You know, I have like, you know, some of those new. Surprising numerical uh, um, observations based on my divisions. Yeah, those, those are a few examples. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's kind of a side question here. Uh, in my own studies, I I see a lot of political propaganda in the text. Uh-huh. Do, do you see that as well? Uh, a lot of political propaganda in the text. Yeah, um, the, it, it was it was written as political propaganda. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can, I mean. It, um, uh, it's clear that there's a, you know, um, Jay vilifies uh, Benjamin and uh, um, valorizes Judah. You know, it's uh, that that is clear. And uh, you know, in in E, you know, there are two northern cities. Often, you know, they're like big northern cities, Shem and Bethel. And it's clear that he has a preference for Bethel and really does not like Shem. Right. So you know, that, those kinds of rivalries are always apparent in, in the text. Um, Sometimes it's easy to see what period they reflect. Sometimes it's not. Like uh, the rivalry between Benjamin and Judah could be from May, from a, a long, a long stretch in history. You know, it's, it's hard. But you know, it, it's, Benjamin is kind of like that tribe, like that was at least uh, you know according to what we find in, in Joshua, is just a sandwiched in between northern Israel and, and southern Israel, and so it was kind of that, in that position that uh, you know unenviable position of. <laughs> Uh, you know, being a go-between, um, and so, 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 yeah. I mean, that it makes sense politically. Yeah, yeah. There's all, all, all the time. I mean, that's a, you know, later uh, uh, find that uh, you find that all over the world. The world hasn't changed. You know, <laughs> it's, it's still, it's still, we're we're still using the Bible for political propaganda today. So, <laughs> <laughs> why not that? <laughs> sure. Uh, okay. So you mentioned like the two different creation counts. Mm-hmm. Um, where the, you know you can, there seems to be a big contrast there, and even contradictory. In mm-hmm. a lot of the, a lot of the, like a lot of the laws seem to be contradictory. And mm-hmm. so, if if you're if 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 the authors, if the sources were supplementing, yeah. why why couldn't they smooth that out more? Why didn't they? Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, I would say um, a respect. Uh, I think that there's a respect for for. Uh, for text that we don't quite, it's hard to wrap ourselves around today. And there's not, you're not inclined to shift, uh, you know, what it, what it says, like really like take it apart and say something else and smooth out contradiction. You know, the way, the way that this was achieved was through addition. It's like, I'm going to, and through repetition. And so instead of deletion, you know, delete, delete something is a, is a much more violent textual act. And I, I, I don't think that that occurred very often at all, you know, and that's why you can isolate these earlier stories. You know, if there was a dynamic of deletion, we couldn't isolate them. Um, and so, 
you know, it's just it, there's a t- also there's a tolerance for for uh, you know if if you, if the texts can kind of live together, then you know that that's fine. There's a great there seems to be a greater threshold for like tolerance of contradiction, and so and so you know there's not this need to smooth things out necessarily. Okay, so are you a, so are you like a supplementarian purist? Like, are there any parts that were written independently and then just spliced in? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I definitely. I mean, I, I'm probably more of a supplementary purist uh, than um, like you know the vast majority of people who uh, read in that strategy. But I do believe, say the uh, you know the um, the original form of the of the Book of the Covenant, for example, in in, in Exodus, is probably something a lot code that was brought in. And also, you know, I think Jay brought in the Northern Book of Judges. You know, that was a, a work that was brought in again. You know, so basically, he worked with, uh, you know, three, like, you know, he worked with E, with the, with the Book of the Covenant, and with the Northern Book of Judges, and then supplemented those to get, you know, and, and made his, uh, and made his grand, grand magnum opus. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, but there are, you know, the ground, the, the, uh, the the ground zero, the you know, are are independent uh, documents, um, you know. So, so yes, and, and that and that like that will occur. Um, independent uh, independent documents will will be brought together. It's you know because the, the uh, that that this is just a biblical narrative uh, in the Torah, the early prophets. You find dynamics of text, uh, you know, side by side. Um, so. And in other places, and documentary theories are not like they, it's possible to live with them. You know, the, 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 you have the you have the, the like the massive book of Chronicles versus uh, you know, uh, versus Samuel Kings. You know, uh, where where they're telling very parallel stories. You know, just retelling it from a very different point of view at a very different time. So. You know why? Why would those two versions be in the same? You know, in the same big corpus. You know, obviously there's a, you know, uh, a tolerance for having uh, text side by side that say these different things. Sure. Um, all right. So in my own work, like some parts mm-hmm. of my work, I'm really confident about. Some parts, yeah. you know, it's like okay, it could go the other way. So yeah. you know, when it comes to your work, how do you? You know, how much are you like? Uh, you're certain about it. Uh, how yeah. much are you like? Eh, I'm only ten percent about that. And, and then how do you, you know, how do you communicate? How do you communicate yeah. that to people, or do you communicate to th- that to people? I, I I would say that you know as as I age, I become more humble in my uh, in my uh, approach. Like I I'm less willing to say this is the way it is. But really, I think that that's a product of how you're taught and in the humanities it's like kind of like ironic the less the less sure you are of something the more the more zealously you have to say this is the way it is um so uh, i i have a fair deal of confidence in in, in, a, in a, a large number of areas i will definitely uh, absolutely say that i was not right all the time um and, and there are definitely all and there will you know if if someone discovers uh, an E or a J in you know another fifty years, I'm sure that I will have been wrong a fair percentage of the time. Uh, but but basically, it's just uh, you know in terms of globally the, the larger theory, those I feel more confident about. Meaning the, the dynamic, the J, uh, the J. Uh, 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 there was a Yavistic redaction of an earlier Elohistic text. That that I will bake on 
you know, uh, was it, you know, in every particular story, did I, did I recreate that dynamic correctly? I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I think there have been places where I was wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the larger picture, I think, is where I, where uh, I'm right. It's just the, the, the wealth of examples. I have many examples that work with my theory. And, you know, so, the, you know, some of those examples are stronger, some are weaker, but just through just the wealth and the abundance of those examples, I, I would say that overall, the, that, you know, the, the J uh, redacting E is, is a theory I'm very confident about. With every particular, I'm le- you know, if you say, I, I, I would tell you I'm less confident about that, or I'm more confident about this. So, so it's always like just uh, in the humanities, I would just say it's the degrees of confidence, uh, you know, in uh, statistics. Like, I, yeah, I, 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 I'll never, I'm never 100% confident about anything. And I, and I you know, I think that that's, that, that, uh, that attitude of humility is something that's grown on me as I, as I become older. You know, I would I would have been a lot more confident at 25 about some of these things than I, than I am at 40. Um, yeah. So you know, it's just uh, I, I think that that uh, you know that's uh, probably a sign of my maturity now as a scholar. Um, so so yeah, I and I would say um, you know that's an attitude that I would advocate for. <laughs> like let's let's be a little more humble in our interpretations of uh, of these biblical texts. Um, you know, we're not you know. Um, high degrees of confidence, I, I don't think are warranted over here. It's just the, it's just like, uh, have I succeeded in explaining a textual dynamic? Have I succeeded? Have I succeeded in innovating in a, uh, a novel interpretation that makes you think about things? You know, those are my measures of success, not not whether you accept my my theory hook, line, and sinker. Uh, you know, that, you know can that's great <laughs> but it's a, that, that that's not my goal as a as somebody who, who teaches and writes about these things okay so what would you say to someone that says source criticism is too too subjective you know you, you could just make up anything it's just better to make sense of it as as one whole how do what do you say to that yeah i mean i i can understand first of all where somebody comes from over there because you know there's a it, it comes from that disconnect of like your people just say be very confident when uh, the, the high degree of confidence is not warranted. And that's where that attitude like, oh, this is entirely subjective comes from because people, you know, if you're, if you're even a you know, semi-astute reader, you can, you can read through that and say, okay, you're not, you know, haven't brought enough proof, you know, totally convincing proof for your theory that, that warrants that kind of, that, that degree of confidence. And that, these people to say, oh, this is all all subjective. I would say yes. You know that's part of you know that's part of the problem. About uh, you know that's what overconfidence or you know or just your attitude towards your interpretation. That's where it leads. If you're, you're if you don't have the proper humility about it. Um, so I, so yes, I would say first of all, I, I I totally understand where you're coming from if you see it as as subjective. Then I would say, but no, I don't, you know, it's not subjective. There, there's some very objective things that you could say about source criticism that are, uh, you know, rely on, uh, on a bedrock of, uh, of, good, of good thinking and good philology. And one is that the Bible the, the, uh, was definitely authored, uh, the Torah was definitely authored by multiple authors. And they're definitely, fra- like, 
large-scale patterns that people across uh, across uh, theories acknowledge that there was uh, there was uh, nor- there's northern material, there's southern material, there's priestly material, there's Deuteronomistic material. Those were authored by different people at different times. Those kinds of dynamics, you know, are shared by by uh, by biblical scholars and are not like you, you know I uh, not uh, unconfident about that. We are very confident about those theories. Uh, but the relationships and such were less confident, and that's where the uh, disagreements between theories come. But, but I would say that those are not subjective. Neither are acknowledging where fractures are, where 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 you where are there are contradictions and repetitions. What you do with them is there's a lot of disagreement. But but uh, but I would say that yeah, no, there's a lot of objective. Uh, there's a lot of uh, of objective. Uh, elements to biblical criticism and uh, you know uh, you can take a step back and acknowledge it's like a lot of what you know biblical scholar biblical scholarship shares like not not just uh you know only only the most fundamentalist of biblical scholars will not acknowledge a lot of what i just said right it's not it's not uh it's not really up for discussion people acknowledge those uh those those tested and true theories so when I look at some of your sources, um, it looks like some of the sources are trying to emulate the previous source. And it would seem like that would make it trickier to be able to figure out which is which. Is that, sure. do you see that? And does, um, that, does say, that cause issues? I would say, say, you know, like I'm seeing this in, you know, I'm saying, you know, um, I'm seeing this in, uh, in, in, uh, in text that I'm doing today. It's like, a, you know, a, dynamic of uh, like respect for previous generation of, of writers is going to lead to emulation but ultimately uh, they're coming you know uh, unless they really mimic it the, the, their predecessor well in which case we can't even tell them you know they, they've done it their job too well and we, you know we'll just assume that they're the same person um, the, there'll be a difference in the uh, in vocabulary, a difference in style, a different, you know, contradiction, um, you know, some different attitude that will help us distinguish. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, if, if uh, a redactor did their job too well and was able to emulate their, their, their predecessor, then there's no way for us as, as modern readers to, to be able to discern that. And that probably did occur. Like, I, I'm pretty confident that it, that it occurred at, at certain stages, but we will never figure it out. <laughs> All right. So on, on your website, it's, uh, you've, you've made some pretty impressive work with like chiastic structure. Tell us yeah. a little bit about chiastic, chiastic structure. Well, first of all, what it is yeah. and also, you know, how does that play into a source, source criticism? Yeah. Well, it's like, it's interesting. It's, uh, doing some symmetry uh, work and doing source criticism don't seem to be a natural uh, uh, you know, natural marriage, um, simply because, uh, you know, uh, sub- theories of symmetry and, uh, you know, are more the uh, purview of, um, uh, like, more conservative scholars who want to see, uh, want to see, like, uh, talk about tax as a whole, and uh, rather than, uh, rather than, like, taking apart tax. And, and so, you know, so they tend, you tend not to find, like, you know, uh, symmetry work among source critics. It's just like, a, it's rare. 
Uh, and it's just like I, I, I got interested in symmetry when I was working on EA. It identified like a basic uh, classic structure in E's work. Uh, but it's, you know, my big question when I, you know, after after I submitted my doctorate was like, what I tried to find out was what happened to that afterwards. Well, how did Jay treat it? And that's kind of like I, I devoted the next few years to thinking about that. Um, and uh, you know, I came to the conclusion that uh, Jay uh, uh, acknowledged that structure and uh, and elaborated it to no end, meaning like made it much more intricate. Um, but you know, it's um, I in my work right now. Um, I would say that just um, it's it's it relies on source criticism. Media relies on my divisions and isolation of certain stories. But more more, it's like exegetical um, in that. Um, what what insight can I gain into the text through the study of symmetry? And basically, it is it's kind of like reading. Uh, mirrored episodes together and find uh, seeing how that interplay between uh, mirror mirrored episodes um, gives you insight into the into uh, into the greater insight into the text and so that's something that's been developed like say by scholars like Robert Alter talked about these things but a lot of people a lot disparaged the, the symmetrical studies and James Kugel talked about, had an early article about chiasmania. You know, people just were identifying symmetrical structures everywhere, but what meaning did it have? That's basically the kind of question that I'm answering in my in my work right now. Is like, uh, I th I really do think that you that you uh, you know that it uh, it deepens our understanding of what's going on in the biblical text, and you can you can really understand how you can, uh, have a greater appreciation for every level of, uh, of the text. You you know, um, my my work right now is going to be. You know, my first book on uh, on on symmetry uh, on, uh, on symmetries is going to be my work on on uh, Jay's grand symmetry, like just uh, just uh, mapping it out and explaining some of the insights you can gain from it. But just as a dynamic of how it, you know, how biblical composition worked, it also is very interesting. Like Jay worked off of E's big uh, sy uh, symmetry, but then after Jay. Subsequent authors also worked off of Jay's symmetry, and so you can see that had that dynamic occurring afterwards. And that's a dynamic that relates to biblical criticism, and relates to source theory, and ignoring it. And how how a uh, how a later author enhanced Jay's symmetry in places is you know really if you if you don't realize that it's symmetrical, you don't understand how that redactor works. And so it's kind of kind of it becomes necessary. And so you know, that's a, that's a, the next stage of my work right now, where, where I'm do, which, which I'm doing right now, trying to articulate that. So if I remember correctly, there's a there's a pretty cool uh, chiastic structure that Jay uh, built around the the law code. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. That's where it comes. Like you know, that's where it becomes the most intricate. Is is like um, I, uh, is. Where the the parallel episodes are then mirrored in the in, in the law, like the yeah. law follows every every mirrored episode, and you know, and that you know, I, it was a, it was tricky trying to to find the right the correct graphic representation of you know uh, how that was working. I, you know, um, I'll, I'll uh, you know, because you were very, you were, you got interested in it early, I'll I'll probably send you uh, you know uh, an early copy of the book to see what you think. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, so you can you can see for yourself what what I what I try to do there. Um, um, but but yeah, it is really it's really cool. And um, 
you know, it's uh, it's like kind of, uh, you know, what, what does that mean? Because when somebody organizes a, uh, something that in, in that much of an intricate organization, it, it has meaning, it means something, and it's, it's trying to tell you something. And what, what is he trying to tell you? Now, I don't, I'm like not entirely certain what he's trying to tell you. I will, mm-hmm. you know, that's like one of the misses, still one of, you know, I don't have like, Oh, like a fundamental, this is what he was trying to tell you idea. But, but I have like, sounded like I, I definitely have gone somewhere with that. Yeah. All right. And so if someone wanted to, uh, to learn more about source criticism, who, who maybe wanted to try to like do it themselves, like what, where would you direct them? What, what books would you say to get, or where would they start with that? I think like one of the greatest resources right now for biblical criticism is Torah.com. It's a website just like by a, a very wide variety of, of uh, authors um, from many biblical disciplines um, and um, and just like committed to to to, to uh, uh, you know to um, um, democratizing biblical criticism meaning to to making insights of biblical of like biblical scholarship available to to like you know people who don't have necessarily have university training in it or and so I find it like all the articles that I've published with them have been like really, really uh, uh, um, edited very, you know, very well, very thoroughly with an eye to making them accessible and to just uh, introducing people to, to, to the concepts. And that's for my, for my work. And they have done that for a wide variety of scholars as well, you know. And so I find that to be very, uh, a very good place to start. Um, and it's not, you know, it's the Torah.com. Um, the, the people who conceive of the website are, are Jewish, but it's, I wouldn't say that it's like a website for Jews. It's a, it's a website for, uh, I would say, for anybody interested in interpretation of uh, Old Testament. Okay, great. Uh, so it's been about an hour, but I've, I've got yeah. some bonus questions here. Do you have time? Sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. So one argument I've heard is that uh, Yahweh and Elohim became synonymous and then later scribes kind of mixed up those names. So you can't have a, you know, a for sure um, dividing, dividing the sources using that, that type yeah. of thing. Yeah, I, I get that. I get where you, uh, you know, I get people who say, well, you know, um, there's going to be confusion and, you know, uh, hundreds of years pass and people are going to make mistakes. And I, I will say, yes, I agree that people uh, sometimes made mistakes, but with the names of God, not a lot. Uh, and, uh, and a proof text for that is something called the Elohistic Psalter in the book of Psalms, where you have like this big bunch of, uh, you have this like deliberate um, changing of everything to from, uh, from Yahweh to Elohim. You know, it's just like, you you know, it's just places where you expect Yahweh will have Elohim instead. And so just like, um, you're just more careful with with uh, with names of God. You just, uh, so are there places where there was a deliberate shift? Or, yes, there are some places. Are there places that there were mistakes? Yes, I think there are places. But I would say that those places are rare, you know, because you just... Uh, we're coming, uh, I feel, from a conservative attitude towards sex in general, but when you have the name of God in a text, you become even more conservative and you, and it reflects, uh, you're reflecting uh, what it says um, better. And so I, I tend to think that there are very, very few mistakes, at least there. 
Okay. And what do you think about the name Elohim? I mean, it, it can mean, if, if I'm correct, it, it can mean yeah. uh, plural gods. It can be a proper name for God. Uh, it can refer to the, to the dead or just any divine being. Yeah. How, yeah. How, how did that evolve? Yeah. So there's like, it's just, you have a, you know, it also can be adjectival. It can be like, you know, it's just great and awesome. Um, you, you have that as well. How did it, um, I, I mean, there's a, there's a generality to, to the word Elohim. There's just like, it just, um, uh, it's not, a, it's not, it doesn't seem to be like, like Yahweh seems to be like a proper, proper name. Like, you know, like uh, uh, John or Bob, right? It's kind of like, you know, a name referring to a specific deity, whereas the name Elohim is kind of like a general it's a general uh, name for for deity for the concept of, of deities, and so it kind of fundamentally reflects a different uh, theology, I would say. So, like, so um, you know, when you have a proper name, it means like it's a it's like a um, a more exclusive uh, relationship with that god. Um, and when you have a you have the name Elohim, it's more like you know, this is the general god of uh, of everything, you know, kind of, that kind of attitude. Um, so. So, so yeah, I mean, it's just like the, the names fundamentally are, are, are come from a different place. So have you gotten into the Ugaritic text much? And how does El play in all this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, like is the name El related to Elohim? Very likely, um, you know. Um, but but El, El is, uh, is, um, also has that a bit of uh, some of that, like El... Uh, you know, El is a, also a general name for for, for God, and you know, but um, but there there you have El is really you know there's like a, a proper name too, and where where El appears in in uh, in the Bible, you know, is it is it uh, is it a proper name uh, or is it a, a general name? Sometimes it's hard to tell, you know. Uh, sometimes you have to look at the text closer, you know. Uh, de- definitely, there are places where El is like a reference to the God of Israel, and uh, you know, like specific. Uh, but but and there are other places where it's uh, uh, where you know in the in the uh, in the Song of Moses in uh, in, um, in Deuteronomy thirty two, for example, uh, you know, uh, the, the, there's a place where it could actually be the Canaanite God, the number of sons of El, you know. Um, for, you know, that, that's definitely a, a, a hypothetical version that could have existed in, uh, um, in, in Deuteronomy. Um, and so, so, yeah, I mean, El Cad, you know, can have that generality too, but it has that, has that like specific resonance as well. You know? So if I remember correctly, in the Eloist uh, Balaam cycle, uh, in the Oracle, it uses mm-hmm. the, the name El. Do you think Eloist was pulling from an earlier source for that? Um, I don't know. I think their names are quite. Uh, I think the names are related more than you know. They they clearly have some some etymological relationship. Maybe I'm saying it too confidently. There there seems to be an etymological relationship between the uh, between the names. Uh, and so uh, you know, I would say that somebody preferred the name El. He would also gravitate towards the name El as well. Uh, you know uh, that that's just uh, you know, and in poetry, when, especially when you need you know when you need more some variation, you you you'll pull that kind of uh, that kind of uh, relationship. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. So I'm, I'm just starting to get into uh, the book of Amos here. (laughs) And uh, so one of the, you know, the first two sources Mm -hmm. uh, are the prophecies to the nations and then Amos's words. Um, Uh And and you think the, the, I I can, I can see, I can see that as well. Um, But how do you know the prophecies of the nations came before Amos's words? Why don't you think it was built on top um, of it? Well, I think, I mean, generally, like, the, the idea of prophecies towards the nation, if you look through the prophets in general, you'll find that kind of kind of stratum in a lot of, in a lot of different prophets, like mm. in, in Ezekiel and in, uh, in Jeremiah and Isaiah, and you know, in a number of the, the small, small ones as well, um, Amos. Um, and it's just like, it, it seems to have been a, a, a prophetic, a part of a, a, you know, an ancient prophetic tradition of, prophecies to to the nations um that were just like kind of like general oracles and such and so i, I tend to see that as a as, as something early um you know whether that is completely justified or not I'm, I'm not entirely sure you know you have to sometimes if you look at uh, prophets to the nations in other books you will you will see that it's more specific was this was that be a part because it was redacted by by the prophet to make it relevant? You know, so sometimes that did happen. But but, but yeah, I generally see I, I generally see that as a more as a, as a earlier earlier edition. And uh, you also have a in Amos you have the social justice and exile source, but Amos's words also deal with exile and they also deal with social justice. So how did you distinguish those two? Oh, uh, you have to. You have to forgive me, Michael. I haven't like looked at my uh, my Amos divisions in in uh, a fair number of years, so I'm not I'm not like in, you know I could tell you what I generally thought about the, the prophecies to the nations, but I, I can't like go like into deep specifics about why what where why I chose uh, 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 what you know. If you give me like you know if you give me um, say another day or two, I could look and tell you sure. why I thought I thought <laughs> what I thought then. Um, you know and definitely I would say my work on on the prophets in general is kind of you know in an earlier in an earlier form than say my work on biblical narrative. And so like I I, I will be less confident about my attributions in prophetic literature that I have. You know not not that I did work hard at, at thinking about relationship about strata textual strata in those books but generally more you know a, a more uh, uh, an earlier form of my thinking that uh, you will find in biblical narrative all right fair enough I, I didn't give you that question ahead of time so <laughs> didn't yeah. mean to blindside you there yeah. um all right well let's, t- let's talk about Mel- melchizedek a little um, bit uh, yeah, sure. genesis 14 18 and psalm 110 yeah, verse yeah, 4 yeah. which uh which one came first and, and why well, do you think I- that um, definitely, I would say the, the, the psalm came first. Um, okay. um, I just think um, Genesis 14 is just one of the latest additions to the book of Genesis. So just in general, it's just the it's just is that the, is that the Bridger? Is that what you call yeah, the Bridger? Yeah, okay. I would say every 14. It's part of like um, I, there's a, the tendency of the Bridger. Ten, other, other people call it by different names. You know, like the file redactor. Or like I, you know, but, but, but there seems to have been a t- tendency among very late biblical authors to like 
internationalize a little. And you can see that in chapter 14. It's just like you have those, you have this like big world war where like, you know, all these king, you know, you know, four kings against the five kings. It's just like a war from different geographical areas coming together in the, in, in the land of Israel. And um, it's just, and so, and, and Melchizedek is, you know, you know, this, you know, this, uh, a priest for El Elyon is like kind of like, sounds like such a, you know, a, such a, such a like a mythic figure. And so it's just like kind of adding that internationality and, and that mythic element. Yeah. I find the Bridgers say like, you know, the legends of Genesis six, where like, where, uh, where the daughters of, uh, uh, you know, the sons of God come and cohabit with the, or, or have sexual relations with the, the with the, the, the daughters of bad. And, you know, that kind of thing, like that doesn't make any, that's not modern. That doesn't like really, why with monotheism at all and so you know you have those kind of but, that, but it's kind of like you know that but that's what makes you know it's like a mythic it's like a mythic uh element to it it adds like you know spice to the tax it adds like an internationality so that's why i find the bridger does on, on, on um, and, but um, but the, the the psalm is like really a you know it's kind of I see it as uh, as uh, like Israelite or Judean, you know. It's kind of like, you know, it's uh, it's talking from that uh, from from that earlier perspective. Can I tell you when that song was written? No, I have no idea when that song was written, but I can I can, I can say that it was uh, earlier than the, the the Bridger because it just like it reflects that that, that kind of attitude of uh, you know you know that just uh, I would say exclusiveness and. I don't see that internationality. The Melchizedek figure in in Psalm one ten is is is, uh, is like an Israelite or Judean figure. Okay, uh, so you brought up monotheism and uh, made me think of uh, you know most most of the sources seem to allow for other gods to have existed, um, but in the story Naaman, Naaman says there's no other Elohim except in Israel. That seems out of place. That seems weird. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. That's no. That is uh, that is like the first like conversion, uh, first conversion attitude. Yeah, and so you know, it's just uh, it's, it's interesting. Like, um, I would say even today, when you um, when you quiz Bible scholars, you'll find that most of them will say that the Bible is monotheistic. Like, make that generalization. It's only rare places where it's like completely monotheistic. It's like kind of like Deutero Isaiah, parts of Deuteronomy, you know, and then there's that, you know, Naaman saying, you know, there's no other God kind of thing. So you, that attitude existed in ancient Israel. Was it the only attitude regarding? No, by far not. You know, I was, we were just talking about the sons, the sons of God, you know, obviously not very monotheistic or the 70 sons of El, you know. Obviously not monotheistic, you know. There's all kinds of, you know. There's not. There's definitely. Uh, it's hard to. It's a lot. Of, it's very hard to find omniscience and omnipotence in J. You know. It's kind of so. It's like you know. It's a monotheism is not heavy, like you know. It's not. It's not the monothe. If there is a monotheism, it's dominant in, in the Bible. It's definitely not the monotheism um, that we that we talk about today, which is, it talks about uh, omniscience and omnipotence that, that doesn't, you know, those attitudes are, do exist in the biblical text, but not in most of the narrative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Much, much more so in uh, uh, Christianity today. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. 
it's just God is the only God. There's never been any other gods. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I find it just yeah. You know, that's kind of kind of like when I, any audience that I took, tell that to, it's just like. Really? The Bible is not monotheistic? No, 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 not really. <laughs> All right. Um, so in, in I think it was the Alawist in the Samson uh, cycle, uh, Hebron or Hebron or however you say it is mentioned. And that just seemed really weird to me because they're northern writings, but uh, Hebron is a – or Hebron is a, oh, a southern like, city. Can you um, – sure. So, um, so which uh, – can you tell me – like which text you're relating to specifically so I can give a better um, So the Samson one is when he, he tears off the gates and he takes it, he takes it to. Oh, okay. Everyone. Yeah, I get you. I get you. So, so that's the Northern book of judges. Um, so um, the Northern book of judges um, definitely had, you know, uh, I, I would say that uh, there's a definitely an idea that, that Judean cities existed. Like, no, I don't think that, you know, that uh, Northern Book of Judges were, you know, he doesn't have Judah. I'll just like, that that, that they share. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, you know, it is a Southern city, but, you know, also you'll find, uh, you know, you find, uh, you find Beersheba in E, you know? Um, so it's like, you know, it's not as if those, you know, it's just, yeah, the Judea, Judah, Judea uh, figures are just thought like dominant. Judea locales, are, are, you know, had, you know, they're in the ge- geographical proximity of, of of northern Israel. You know, it's not it's not that far from you know, just geographically speaking, from mm-hmm. one city to the next. So it's not like oh, we can't, you know, Hebron is a is a fairly substantial city. You know, so. Uh, so it's, it makes sense that there'll be some relationship to it sometimes. It's not like out of question. Okay. Uh, so you have a you have a book series uh, called Colonel to Cannon. Mm-hmm. Tell us tell us a little bit about that. Um, so Colonel to Cannon was a you know my it's my I would say biblical commentary and it um, it, it, uh, it I um, I took uh, Jay the work of Jay which I believe begins in Genesis 2 and ends in 2 Samuel 5 as, you know, as like the boundaries of the commentary. And I just uh, wanted to um, give my sort, you know, give uh, my theory of, uh, of biblical composition, um, uh, you know, just throughout that section of biblical narrative. And so I, I take apart every chapter. I, I show how each chapter developed, every narrative chapter, every story chapter from from Genesis 2 to 2 Samuel 5. And uh, I, I, it was a project that, you know, I, I conceived of, uh, <laughs> I would say, um, you know, let's see, it's 12, uh, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I started thinking of the project. Um, and I started writing, I would say the, you know, the base for it was my website, uh, biblecriticism.com. And then I, and then I wanted to make it a little more, you know, a little more comprehensive, a little more, you know, a little more edited, you know, without, you know, the mistakes that will always fall in, in the work of, uh, you know, especially when, you know, you, uh, I work as an independent and don't have, <laughs> you know, the resources to hire, uh, to hire editors all the time. So I wanted it to be uh, more edited, and so I—that's where Colonel DeCannon came in. 
Um, and, and I fully acknowledge that it could be even more edited, <laughs> you know, that there are mistakes in Colonel Tatana that I would like to take out. But, uh, you know, and hopefully one, one day I'll have the resources to, to correct those mistakes. And people have been very thoughtfully saying, oh, you, you, you made a small mistake here, you made a small mistake here. Thankfully, there are not a lot of big mistakes. And so I'm happy about that. Um, but, uh, you know, and then that's, a, you know, I'm happy. I'm always happy for that kind of feedback. I'm all, I all, I'm very appreciative. You know, I take it as a compliment that people are looking at my work closely and pointing out inconsistencies. And you yourself have pointed out a number of them and I've been, I really have appreciated it. And I really, you know, I, I, I see it as a compliment and I, because I want, I'm all seeking to improve. I'm not like, you know, I have, I, I don't think I've reached an end point or, you know, any, you know, and I want my theory to be, you know, as well represented as possible. And where is the best place for people to get those uh, books? Amazon.com. <laughs> I thought that would be the answer. I just want to make sure. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I, could, I could say, you know, go to my website, modernscriptures.com. And then you'd, uh, you know, and then just buy the book and then you'll go to, to amazon.com but at this point i have a pdf version of everything for sale um so at, at the advantage of using my website is that you have access to the P, a pdf of each of the chapters so oh, okay. that that uh, you know if you prefer not to buy a, a physical book that's also an option now okay uh, so, uh, 1997 called and it wants its website back. Uh, <laughs> any, <Yeah>, absolutely. <laughs> any, any plans to update that, uh, biblical criticism.com or any yeah, of the other yeah. ones? I, I have, I have ambitious plans. Um, and I, and I hope that at some point I, I, uh, I have the resources to, to, to make that happen. You know, I'm always, uh, you know, um, when I when I have the resources, I'll I'll throw them into it and and make it. You know, my goal is to is to bring the tax. Uh, you know, my first goal was always to bring the tax, um, and my second goal was to you know make it uh, easy to access the tax. My third goal is to you know making it more modern. And, <laughs> and, you know, like what you're saying, 1997 call. Uh, yeah, I I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um. All right. So uh, you we've mentioned. Uh, modernscriptures.com and bible biblecriticism.com that's correct right yeah okay any other ones you want to promote um no i mean like i i have a website for my for my uh uh scriptural uh for my uh for my liturgical work uh you know which is humanistprayer.com but it's not like a you know that's kind of like you know fairly uh, geared towards a certain branch of Judaism that is like, you know, I would say that's for my rabbinic liturgical work rather than my biblical scholarship work. Okay. All right, man. Well, that's, uh, that's all the questions I got for you. Thanks again so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, please, you know, if people have questions, um, you can you're, you feel free to direct them for it to me and I, I'll, I'll give my best at an answer. All right. Sounds good. All right. uh, That's it for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Have a great day.